Hey, I'm Louis, nutritionist and personal trainer, and it is my privilege to welcome you to the Between Two Plates podcast in association with Strength Vitality, where we discuss everything between gym plates and kitchen plates to do with fitness, nutrition, and mental health. It is amazing to have you back listening to the podcast. Due to some exciting changes around us moving venue, it meant that realistically recording the podcast was unachievable, and I've been saving a few episodes from 2020 to drop once we've relaunched. During this transition, we recorded some of the episodes in funky locations, so please do excuse some of the acoustics. In this episode, we'll be talking to the mighty Mr. Jamie Williams, personal trainer, physiotherapist and ski instructor from the land of paradise, Vancouver, Canada, on the topic of training and injuries. Diving into Jamie's background gives us the awesome context into his philosophy towards training, how he coaches injury management with clients, and why we should be taking notes on his advice in the gym or on the slopes. I have no doubt you're going to feel as motivated and as refreshed as I was listening to Jamie as he sat in a park in Vancouver sharing wisdom and anecdotes. If anyone has any questions, that's you, relating to any of the topics discussed in this interview, please don't hesitate to email me at louis at strengthvitality.com. Thank you again. And as always, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Cool. So, dude, Jamie, how, I know we've already caught up on this, but for the benefit of you, <laughs> how the devil are you? I'm really good, man. It's great to speak to you. It feels like a long time since we spoke. I remember playing rugby with you way back in the day. So to actually jump on the phone and talk to you face to face is great, even though I'm on the other side of the world. But hey, oh, mate. I'm making it work. Even better, you're on the other side of the world and the best part of the world as well. In the best part of the world, which is in Canada, yeah, in honestly. Vancouver. Yeah, so I've been out here for, where are we now? August, nine months. Um, geez, nine months, time flies. Um, I got about. Two two years ago, a year and a half ago, maybe. Yeah, I'm on with two years now. A friend of mine was saying after I was studying with him and he's saying, I'm going to go to Vancouver. That's where his, his wife is from here. And he was telling me about it and he was like, man, you've got the mountains behind you. You've got the ocean in front of you and you're standing in the city. And he was like, it's unreal. And I thought, yep, sign me up for that. So <laughs> I found out that I could get two-year visa and now I'm here. Oh, um, dude. I love it. I love it. And okay, and then what, what are you doing over there? Well, I finished my physio degree uh, in June last year, so 2019. And we had, it all just kind of fell into place. It was crazy how it happened. So I was already talking to my buddy who I studied with about going to Vancouver and I was hearing all about it. And I'm, I'm a skier and also just I love being outdoors and just the idea of having the mountains behind me and the ocean in front of me and, and standing in the city, I just thought that sounds perfect. And then a recruiter from one of the healthcare uh, authorities here in Vancouver came to our university and did a little recruitment thing. So they actually flew out and were telling us about how they can get us a job, they can help us with a visa, there's loads of benefits, they can help us with like relocation costs and all this sort of stuff. And I just thought, boys, sign me up for that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so I was planning on doing that straight away. And then my kind of childhood dream has always been to be a ski instructor. I've skied since I was a kid and just always had a, a just a dying love for it. Um, so I actually pushed the physio stuff back a little bit and I came straight out and got a job as a, I trained to be a ski instructor, got a job as a ski instructor, worked a season, um, 
And then obviously lockdown happened, so things went a little bit weird for a while there. Um, but now I am mixing my time between being a personal trainer and also being a paddleboard and a kayak instructor um, <laughs> at, a, at a water sports place here in Vancouver. So yeah, living, living the season life a little bit, but um, Vizio is calling me back. I can hear my name being called. So um, oh, why I'm hoping it's just what I need to do, you know, like I, that's what I studied for. That's what my profession is. Um, my, I'm a personal trainer. I've been doing that for three or four years. Um, and I've always felt like personal training for me is like one of the access points that I use my physio skills. Cool. It's, um, it's one of the ways in which I get to people that need help where I can use my physio background without necessarily being a physio. And I've gotten to the point where personal training is no longer giving me enough. You know, I, I want to know more about that person. I want to get, I want to get up close to them and find out about their injuries. And, and I did that whilst I was living in London and I just want to get back to it. Um, so the reason that I've had to delay it is because I have to go through a bit of a process to get myself, uh, what should I say? Credentialed is the right term, but I say licensing because it's easier. People understand. So in order to work here in Canada, I have to register with uh, the British Columbia province, the Canadian Alliance of Physical Therapists. And that's a bit of a process. So I've got to do a whole bunch of paperwork and I've got to sit their exams here um, and then I can start working. So I'm looking at some maybe fall or winter, uh, early winter this year, to try and get back into a physiotherapy job. Wow. Um, but in the meantime, I'm messing around in kayaks and paddleboards and doing some personal training. So it's not bad. Can't complain. <laughs> that, is, that is a dream, man. So take me, take me all the way back. So um, when, I mean, when we met, you were sporty. But when did mm. you know that it was going to be like this, working with people on that one-on-one, -on -one, like physio, PT journey? Yeah. Well, uh, I went to university first time straight out of school. So we were in school together and then I went to sixth form. And after sixth form, I just picked a sociology degree because I was doing okay at it in college. And my teacher, um, Mr. Baxter, I don't know if you remember him, was yes. like, yeah, you, you'll be fine at that. So I, I went off and did that at University of Kent. Um, and I joined the rowing team. So I rowed there um, for about two, two and a half years. Um, and honestly, it was mostly, I was getting back into fitness after my rowing was starting to slow down. So my second year, I got to, I was in the, um, the lead men's crew. I was really enjoying it, training, training hard. And it just kind of started to take over my, my work, my coursework. So I kind of slowed it down, got into the gym a bit more. Okay. But by that point, the effect of rowing in a small um, team meant that I was never changing sides. I was always rowing on my right-hand side. Right. Um, and so I was rowing, I wasn't sculling, which meant I had one blade. So I was always pulling across my body from right to left. So you can okay. imagine things start to get a little bit wonky. Um, <laughs> and they still are. <laughs> um, so I was, when I got back in the gym, started putting heavy weights on my back, my body was going, oh, I don't know if I like this. Right. So I had to spend quite a while undoing all the stuff that had kind of entrenched itself from taking thousands of repetitions every weekend um, in one direction. So... And a bunch of the guys that I was training with were struggling with shoulder issues. I had one guy on my boat that is his um, shoulder used to dislocate now and again. And, you know, we just were all working through stuff. And I, I loved getting these boys in the gym and trying to figure out what on earth we could do about it. So cool. it kind of started to creep into my mind that I was 
you know, my sociology degree was probably not going to be used very much. <laughs> um, but it was still fun. Um, and then I left that university and started looking into physio. And I was also thinking about firefighting. I was looking at like, I wanted, to, I kind of was thinking about the forces, services. Um, and then I looked at the physiotherapy degree and found out that that year's intake was going to be the last intake that the NHS would fund. Whoa. Now, if there's anything that's going to kick you into forward gear to go and get something, it's like, yeah, we're going to cut funding. So I thought, right, okay. Got my stuff together. I had to go back to college for another year and do like a general sciences um, because I didn't have a science undergrad. Um, and then got into physiology school. So I went to University of London, St. George's in Southwest London for three years, studied physio there. And it was really just, yeah, that period of, um, help trying to help my mates out. We were all trying to struggle through injuries that we had from rowing. And also I had a bit of a care background growing up. I remember my family needed to had care needs as I was growing up. So I was used to being that kind of care role. Right. And I've always been a bit of an interpersonal person, like chatty. And I was that kid in school that teachers always like, yeah, he works really hard, but he does like yeah. a lot. <laughs> I was always one of those. Um, so it's always kind of been my personality and it, it, it just kind of fits, you know. And But I started personal training before I went to um, physio school. So around that time I was training in a CrossFit gym, started to really get into that. And then when I moved up to London is when I started doing more like boot camp stuff, got into one-to-one, -one, worked in a, like a small semi-private training studio, had classes of up to five people, got to really dig into the details with those guys. Um, and I trained a lot of the same people through all of the time that I was living in London, which is nearly four years. And just loved building those relationships and seeing them transform and get stronger and come through their injuries and and then after I graduated in June I worked for four or five months for a physiotherapy clinic um in southwest London doing private physio out of a gym which I loved um getting access to people I, we had all sorts of people that had been in car accidents all the way through to people that wanted to improve their marathon time um had a big old range and had to really apply my skills and that was my first job and I loved the fact that I could be in the clinic room, having the patient on the bed, doing some work, and then jump out and load up a barbell and teach them how to deadlift. You know, it was like, yeah, it was, just man. A, it was just a cool variation of physio that I was doing, and I was really enjoying it. Um, and that's what I want to get back to. So that's kind of the journey so far. Yeah. This kind of year that I've had here in Canada is a little bit of a bump along the line, but it was something that I needed to do. And I think actually, what I've interacted, the people I've interacted with so far. Um, physiotherapy here has just got a really nice feel around it. Everybody loves the idea of working to make themselves better Brilliant. rather than being fixed, which is, I really like, um, cause I, I think physiotherapy is a process more than anything else. Uh, it's a profession. It's a process that people go through. It's not having something done to you, you know, it's a, a different way to think about it. And I like the way that people in Vancouver are really keen on their health and fitness. You know, everybody here is a, mountain biker and a kayaker and a rock climber and everybody just does everything. So I like that active lifestyle. Um, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to get my teeth back into it. Mate, that is awesome. And it's, it speaks so many, so much volumes about what you said about your personality that even when you were mm. choosing your options, it was still all things that have that like common denominator of serving people. Like it was in yeah. the services or it was in the fire service, like or even sociology, yeah. it's like about yeah. people. And even, I mean, you're yeah. the same thing. Definitely. I think I always have had that kind of 
my brain tuned towards making things better you know even in my own life like i'm always looking at like what's next what can i improve here how can i move things forward um and i love seeing that in others and i just think that so many people out there have could be helped in so many ways with some simple advice and sadly the physio world and the personal training world sometimes don't in my mind anyway don't quite have their ducks in a row in terms of how they're communicating to people and explaining things so um i'm i'm relishing the opportunity to get out there and, and help people um straighten things out in the way that they're training or maybe it's just their lifestyle you know um there's lots of things that people can be doing and i enjoy helping people get the basics right before they try and jump into some crazy strength training program or you know some crazy diet or Lots of other things that you can find on the internet that are going to yeah. fix you, but there's lots of basics you got to do first. Um, and that's kind of where I sit in my philosophy on training and health and stuff is if you're not doing the basics right, don't bother spending God knows how much money on some monthly program that's just yeah. going to tell you to do all sorts of weird exercises. Um, but anyway, I'm sure we'll get into the details on yeah. that. That's, uh, yeah, I was so gonna... I was... Sorry, no, go, on. go on, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, just um, it was interesting you noted that all of my options I had in front of me were to do with helping people. And even when I came out here to ski, the thing that I loved the most is when I'd get somebody that was like scared, you know, they'd be worried about, oh, I'm going to fall, I'm going to hurt myself. And it was down to me to show them that they can take control of the mountain and they can be in control of their skis and they can have fun and they can let go a little bit and still be safe. And like, that was the stuff that I really liked. Obviously, it's fun to dig into the technical details. I like to nerd out on skiing just as much as the next ski instructor, but um, it was a lot of fun when you had somebody who was a little bit scared, a little bit wary, and then you'd see their face light up when they make that first <laughs> nice turn. Or they feel a bit of fresh powder and like that. Those are the good moments. And it's the same in physio when somebody, I don't know, presses a barbell over their head without shoulder pain for the first time. And they're like, oh, that didn't hurt. And you're like, there you go. See, you did that. That was your work. Yeah. Um, it's all the same kind of feelings, you know? Man, that's that, what we're all doing, right? Just searching for feelings. <laughs> <laughs> that like leads into a song very quickly, which <laughs> which would be great. <laughs> Actually, this this that does lead into um, the next thing that I wanted to ask you was uh, before getting into like um, the physiology of it. Do you find as a mm. physio that there's a almost a, and you've sort of alluded to this already, almost a cultural challenge on two perspectives? You've got and this is my. Um, not this is my layman world of physio view on it. Mm -hmm. it i perceive that there's maybe one challenge from the the customer or your, your clients assuming like you said that it should be dealt with in one go like it should be mm -hmm. right i want you to manipulate me and get it done mm -hmm. but then there's the other yeah. dichotomy which i'm sure you will have heard is of people being like right i've signed up to my physio and it's like like 30 treatments i've booked in straight away mm -hmm. like whoa how do they know already is that something yeah. that you perceive as a challenge in what you do? I think it's something that we just have to negotiate as, as professionals, you know, like that's, it's always going to be a factor. Um, it is an issue in the UK, but slightly different because insurance isn't quite so common. Whereas out here in Canada, it's stupid. It's a very much a North American system that if something happens, you have insurance for it and then insurance will grant you however many sessions. So okay. I know a friend of mine works for a physio clinic here and, his clients often come in, they've had a car crash, they've got a bit of neck pain, they get granted 25 sessions. Whoa. And me as a therapist thinking, I've got to try and fulfill 25 sessions. You know, <laughs> like, I don't, maybe I'm going to fix it sooner than that. Maybe I won't. You know, it kind of 
it puts a number on something that I wouldn't necessarily want to put a number on because there's, there's so many factors that go into recovery from an injury. Some of which I have no control over as a clinician. So, um, yeah, that's a, an interesting little twist. But, and then, yeah, like you said, the other end is people expect to be fixed and that's easily, easily noticed as a clinician. If you see somebody coming in, they're saying, Oh, I think I just need to have my neck clicked this way or something needs to happen. And and look, that's not their fault. You know, they, they just don't know. And they've probably been listening to advertising. They've seen adverts in newspapers. I had a, a patient as a student come into a session with me and he brought in an advert that he'd cut out of a newspaper. And it said, you know, 800 pounds to have this special treatment done on your back to fix your back pain. And my initial reaction was like, oh my God, how do you not know that they are trying to trick you? But then I had to take a step back and go, okay, look, he, he doesn't know. That's not his yeah. fault, you know? Like he's just seen an advert, he's in pain, he wants to be out of pain. And that's honestly, who would not feel like that, right? Um, so it's just an education thing. When you see that coming towards you, somebody saying, I think I need to have this done in order to fix my pain, then you need to stop for a second and say, okay, let's unpick that thinking a little bit. Um, partly because you might not be able to fulfill that as a clinician. Some people might be able to, you never know. You might, you might do a spinal manipulation and might get rid of their back pain. Great. If you can, that's awesome. But also it might not. The evidence suggests yeah, it probably won't. Um, or it might won't provide long-term relief. Um, so you just have to kind of recognize that that's what's coming towards you and try and do something about it. And the nice thing is, if you can persuade that person that actually you can take control of it, you don't have to come to me. Like, I'm going to guide you through this. I'm going to help you, but you're in control of this injury or this pain you're having. Um, don't offload the responsibility to somebody else to come in and fix you because then that leaves you kind of helpless, right? Um, so it, it can be kind of freeing for some people to know that, oh, okay, it's not down to you just to click my shoulder and then it's, it's good to go or give me a massage, my neck's better. It's, it's actually, this is in, in, under your control. Um, and that can be a tough process. Some people don't want that responsibility. They want to offload it. Um, they want to have somebody do it for them. But it's, it's, it's the right path for me i know a lot of people out there don't do this there's i'm sure plenty of clinicians that would like to be able to charge the big bucks and click someone's back and then they walk out the door with a happy patient fair enough that's that's just not my style um and i i think it makes me feel good as a as a physio that there's the, the trend in physiotherapy right now i think is moving the right way um as much as i um I'm trying to keep up to date with everything whilst I'm not really in the world at the minute. Um, It seems like everybody's moving the right direction and hopefully the people that are selling dreams are getting left behind. So yeah. Yeah, man. What's your, um, do you think it's important? Because obviously you're coming, you're coming into practice with a multidisciplinary background. So you've got this Mm. experience of personal training and then you've got like an extensive experience of just working with people. Even if it is teaching someone to paddleboard, those interactions are really important to develop you as a practitioner. Do you think that that is important for practitioners to come in with like a multitude of tools? Um, Mm. I think it's not necessarily that necessary. Oh no, I think your communication skills, your ability to develop a rapport with the patient, um, to be empathic and to show that you understand their situation 
um, is sometimes is one of the most important things. I think what I, what physios can do with their hands is far far less than what they can do with conversation. Um, if you can't recognize where somebody's at as they walk into that clinic room and say, look, I understand where you are. You're really frustrated. You're a bit upset. You haven't been able to run for six weeks. Running used to be your life. If you can't kind of meet that person where they are, they're not going to feel understood, you know? And it's, it's really hard to have a conversation with somebody if they don't feel like you understand them. And that's true in all realms of life, right? You know, if it's a, if it's a family member, if it's a partner or yeah. whoever it is, you've got to have some level of common understanding of like, I see you, I see where you're at. Let's, you know, work together on this. And if somebody can't, first of all, recognize that and then can't communicate that to the person in an effective professional way, then I think they're going to really struggle. Um, partly because in order for the rehab process to move forward, you have to be able to identify points along the way. You have to be able to say, okay, we're, this is our starting line. Um, you're in pain right now. In a few weeks' time, I expect us to be over here. Maybe you're going to feel a little bit less uncomfortable. We're going to be starting to get you back to your activity. And you need to be able to say, in this many weeks or this many months, you might be over here, you know? And just giving somebody that timeline, communicating that will really reassure the patient and make them feel so much more comfortable about the process and probably relax them away from that I need to be fixed mindset because they're no longer going to be thinking, oh, I have to get this fixed now. Um, so those communication skills are so important. And when I was a student, we used to have communication sessions. We would sit with other students and we'd have like um, scenarios. You know, you'd get a piece of paper saying, you are a 50-year-old patient with um, whatever type of lung disease and the therapist is going to try and convince you that you should stop smoking. And it was like, whoa, okay, here we go. Um, and we'd, we'd run scenarios like that, practice our communication skills. And you know what? I, we all felt like idiots at the time. Sat, sat in our rooms, chatting away to each other, pretending that we're patients. And we all thought it was kind of lame, you know, as all students do. We all think what you're learning is lame at the time, but it wasn't until we went outside of working and we realized that, well, okay, if you can't really get into someone and make them feel heard and make them understand you, you're going to struggle to get any further than that, you know? Um, it was particularly difficult as a student as well because I was working in hospitals where I, I had people, when I would walk into their room to see them for whatever reason, they'd go, oh, student again, you know? And you had to overcome challenges like that. I had to wow. overcome challenges with working with other members of staff who didn't want to work with a student. Um, and, you know, like, I don't blame them. Like, we were still learning. Fair enough. They've got right. a job to do. Um, so, yeah, all that time that we spent developing our communication skills, I think, helped us so much. And I could really see that um, when I started working for myself, that if I didn't get my communication right, it made everything else so much more difficult. Um, patient's not going to be on board. They're not going to be bought in. Um, probably not going to be listening, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just your words of advice and reassurance is what they need. There's a lot of people really base um, a lot of themselves in the things that they do, you know, or if you're in pain, it's just, it's yeah. a, just an, an, an emotionally uncomfortable experience, isn't it? Like if you're in pain, you just feel horrible, don't you? <laughs> like, yeah, man. You don't feel, ever feel good if you're constantly waking up in pain every day. Um, and that person wants to be recognized. I, I see that you're uncomfortable. This is rough. Let's work on that, you know, being able to identify that, 
see where they're at and try and help them move forward. So important. So important. Man, that is, you've literally like, in there, you've covered like 50 topics I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask you to dive into an area which maybe you didn't expect me to ask you about, but you already sort of walked Go for it. it. Was how, uh, like, how your education in, in physiotherapy and perhaps some of your personal training stuff, do you, obviously it sculpted your practice, but has it, do you think it's changed you as a person in any way, how you maybe approach different situations or your interactions with people, your understanding of the environment? Yeah, for sure. I think just in the way that um, I communicate with others, people often say to me that I'm like, I'm a good listener. I ask a lot of questions. Um, I think I tend to form friendships, relationships relatively easily because I'm used to noticing where in the conversation somebody might stumble on something. You know, it, it can even just be a, a change of tone of voice when they're talking about a particular area. And that will say to me, oh, there's something there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I really want to ask that question, but I probably shouldn't because I've just met them. Um, so like, it definitely has infected, uh, affected me as a person. And, and I like it, you know, like I, I like the fact that I tend to go a little bit deeper with people than others might do, you know? Yeah, I can man. still be jovial and have a bit of crack, but at the same time, like, if you're a friend of mine and we're close, you know, we're going to have some chats, you know? Like, <laughs> but I, like, I like to get into it. and that's, Jamie's coming that's over again, part, guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, not again. going to be 21 questions again. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's just part of who I am. And I think that's particularly important for me and my clients that I like to get to know the people that I work with because I, that's how I motivate people. You know, I know my clients, I know what they do on the weekends. I know about their families. I know how much their hobbies mean to them. And that means that, you know, if we're halfway through a really tough workout, I can draw on something there. You know, I can say, all right, let's go. Right. We've got this triathlon in two weeks time. You're doing that because you promised your family you would. So let's go, you know, let's dig out. Yeah, man. And, and like, I think all of that stuff's really important. And that obviously just bleeds into my own life. Like we all clock off at some point in the day and go home, but we never quite turn our brains off. We're always the same kind of person, aren't we? We're always, we, we are in that job because that's our kind of personality. So for sure it's, it's in my, in my head all the time. Um, that's just kind of who I am. Are you going to keep <laughs> it up? Coming. Are you going to keep up the personal I, training side of things when your physio starts to kick off? Yeah, definitely. I think the way that I see, I don't see personal training and physio as completely separate entities. They're, for me, they're, they're all on the same spectrum, right? If you were to draw a line from injury all the way through to fitness, along the way, you need different people to help you fix those issues. And to begin with, if somebody's bedridden in pain, you probably need a doctor and then maybe you need a physio, maybe you need a surgeon and then you need a physio. And then after that, maybe you need a personal trainer. Um, and it's, it's all a sliding scale. And I, I want to be able to work on different points in that scale. But the area that particularly interests me is I think there's gaps along that way. I think there's a gap between when somebody stops seeing a physio and they start seeing a personal trainer. Okay. And I think there's a little hole there that people fall into they, they finish their sessions with their physio for now they're feeling good they're almost back to what they were doing before but not quite but in their head they're thinking 
oh yeah, maybe I'm not running 10K in 50 minutes anymore, but I'm running it in an hour and, and I'm pretty happy with that. And then a few months go by, maybe they slip on their running, their knee pain starts to come back and then they're back into that hole again. And I think people, people trip and fall into that gap. And I think there's a space in the world for somebody to be able to pick someone up as they're finishing their physio. Okay, they're not in pain anymore, but they're not back to where they were. They yeah. haven't bulletproofed themselves. They're not fully where, to, where they want to be. And that's kind of where I want to sit. I can pick cool. people up who are, they've seen a physio, they're not in pain anymore, but they're not quite 100%. They're still maybe a little bit tentative about going back to where they were. Um, and actually, the practice that I worked for in London, uh, Instant Physio, shout out to Ed, he does a really good job of, at the very beginning, he lets people know, I want you to be fitter, stronger, more flexible, faster than you were before you got injured. Because that's how we really stop this problem happening again. And I think uh, too many, too often, people are brought just about back to where they were before. And if we've done that, we haven't fully done the job. Yeah. I want you to be... I want you to be stronger, fitter, faster, whatever it is than you were before you got injured. Then we, then we're done. Then we're finally finished. Um, and I think, yeah, that's where I'd like to sit. Sure. Dude, with so with, I mean, this is brilliant, and I can't wait for you to be qualified. You're going to help so many more uh, for you to be working as practice in physio in Canada. You're going to help yeah. so many more people as well. With your uh, when we hit lockdown. Mm. Did you have to change the way you're working with people when you're personal training? Well, I didn't start personal training again until lockdown was starting to relax here. Cool. So the job, I finished my ski season job in March. The mountain shut down. We were all laid off. Um, and then I had a period of kind of not doing too much for a month or two. And then I got back in, I got in, back into my water sport stuff. That's when I got into the paddling and kayaking things. Okay. And then um, just after that, I the gym had already offered me a job back in February, March time. Um, but then they were kind of sliding into lockdown. So that didn't quite happen. Then they reopened and that's when I got back into the gym, cool. but I was there for the reopening. So I was dealing with people who hadn't done anything for months and they wanted to come back into the gym and go back to hundred percent. And it was kind of like, okay, let's just build this up slowly yes. because I'm sure, you know, as well, I, I saw the stuff that you were putting out people trying to go back in a little bit too quick and <laughs> understandably they're eager, right? They've probably been sitting at home twiddling their thumbs desperate to get back under a barbell and then your trainer's there going, let's take it easy today. And they're like, I don't want to, I want to go hard. And you're like, I know you do, but we need to take it easy. Um, it was either that or it was, oh, I can't bother to <laughs> just getting back in the gym. And that's fair as well, because it was a daunting task. If you'd been off for two or three months just doing little home workouts and coming back into a gym and lifting weights again, it's probably a bit daunting. Um, so it was interesting to get back in the gym and have to be working with people who were different ends of that spectrum. Some of them were ready to go. Some of them were not ready to go. <laughs> um, so I really actually enjoy those challenges. I think it makes things more interesting. Can we explore that a bit more, more from like the physio perspective? So your understanding mm. of injuries and the causality of them. Yeah, um, for uh, sure. What some of the what was the some of what were some of the things that you were maybe either coming across as people were coming back post like four months off, or mm. some of the things that you were aware of for people coming back like having not trained or having only done like loads of running or bodyweight work. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's in my head is just loading. So okay. we used to in the injury 
busier world, it used to be thought that, you know, oh, it's a movement problem that's causing your injury or, you know, there were so many different thoughts of what it could be. It was adhesions or things like this. We've moved on a little bit from that now. Okay. And we know that largely, mostly what causes musculoskeletal injuries, if it's not traumatic or it's not pathological, like it's a, not a disease process, it's probably some kind of mismanagement of your loading. So quarantine is a perfect example. Say you're at your fittest in February or March time, and then boom, the doors come down. You're no longer lifting weights twice a week or three times a week. Then you're just, maybe you're just running. Um, and you build okay. your running up through quarantine and then quarantine ends, you get back in the gym. It's like, right, get back under the bar. What did I used to lift? Oh, I used to start with a, a 20 each side. Cool, jump in, slap a 20 on each side. And then that feels heavy and you do too many reps. And so what you're seeing there is big buildup of fitness drops off, goes along for a bit. And then you try and jump back in where you were and the body goes, whoa, slow down, buddy. That's where things come up. So I was okay. really aware of the fact that people at home, unless they had like a home gym, were probably not loading their tissues up to how they were before lockdown happened. So the resiliency in their tissues, their muscles, their tendons, everything, I'd probably dropped a little bit. And so I needed to be a little bit careful in how quickly I loaded those people back up again. And I needed to find different ways of testing them before I would start throwing heavy weights at them. Um, so if I was starting off, I would take things very lightly, slowly increase the weights. As I was increasing the weights, I'd play with time under tension. I'd play with rest times. I'd try adding some plyometric stuff in there just to explore the different avenues and see if anything came up. And I was constantly checking in on people saying like, oh, how were you feeling after your session last week? Did you have any issues? Right. Um, and if it was all no, all good, green, green lights, then I'd add a little bit more. And those are the lessons that we've really learned um, over the last, that I've really learned over the last year or so, is that how you load your, how you manage your loading in training has the biggest impact on the niggles that people pick up. Okay. Um, that's largely the biggest issue. And I think the only time that that goes wrong is when people aren't looking after themselves. Like if people are not sleeping well, they're not eating well, they're not hydrating well, they're not managing their stress, stuff like that. You can, you can have your loading absolutely perfectly, but if you're not sleeping well, it's really hard to see the woods through the trees at that point um, because it's all so clouded over with this bit of a disastrous lifestyle. It's very hard to see what's working and what's not at that point. So loading was the most important thing for me and also around the time that people are coming back into the gym probably their lifestyles are changing a little bit maybe they're going back into the office or maybe they're not eating as well because they're sitting at home maybe they're a bit bored maybe they're a bit lonely i know that drinking went up a lot here in canada right. um over the quarantine times so i was aware aware of those other nutritional and lifestyle factors and I was kind of factoring that back into how I was training people as well. And just asking them questions, you know, are you sleeping well? How did you find your stress is being managed at the minute? And that was all things that the gym that I was working for, or I still am working for, they're really good on that stuff. You know, we profile every three months. We ask all of those questions. We go through a little bit of fitness exam. We go through a little few questions about injuries. We ask about lifestyle. Are you sleeping well? Are you managing your stress? Um, so really fortunate in the sense that everybody that I work with and all the clients that I have are used to being asked those sorts of questions. I'm well aware that there's probably people out there, people that you've worked with, 
I don't want to talk about what they eat and yeah. how they sleep and things like that because that's personal stuff. And fair enough, you know, if you yeah, don't want man. to talk about that, fine. But I do think as a trainer or as a physio, it's worth asking the questions, even if they don't want to tell you, at least you're showing that you, that you want to know and you care. So that, yeah, the loading and the lifestyle are the two most important things that I was thinking about as I was training my clients going, coming out of quarantine. Um, and I think actually those things probably are the two most important things at any point. <laughs> yes. If they're important then, they're important at any time. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I would say for that. Would that reintroduction that you've explained you've gone through with your clients be something that you would recommend for like a, a general gym goer who might be listening to this now who doesn't have a coach or a trainer? Is, mm. Do you advise a similar sort of approach with a bit of exploration and progression? Yeah, for sure. Um, progression is always what we're looking for in the gym. You know, that's, that's how we make gains. You have to progressively overload things. That can be with weight, that can be with reps, that can be with steps. I can be changing your rest times. That could be changing your tempos. That can be changing the conditions that you do your workouts in. It can be any sort of thing. It's just progression is what we're looking for. And progression is the dose. And we're looking to find the right dose. And the dose doesn't, isn't always the same. Um, when you first start training, you might just need a very small dose because you've not been training for that long. As you get more years under your belt or more weeks out of quarantine, maybe that dose needs to get a little bit bigger. Um, and also, there's lots of different avenues you can go down within your training. And it might be that some of those avenues might irritate um, an injury that you've had for a long time more than others. So that might be range of motion would be another one. Say you've got somebody who has a shoulder issue and maybe pressing a bar overhead really uh, aggravates their shoulder. So try playing with range of motion. Start with an incline press first. So you're not going into full shoulder flexion right at the top here. Um, you could also play with um, how you load that. So you could use a band and make sure that, you know, you've got some accommodating resistance to that range. So you're not overloading right at the very top. You're doing, you're changing that loading somehow. These are all things that the average person might not know. Um, you might not know quite how to play with them. But I, I always tell people that you have to learn how to listen to your body. You start to recognize the signs of when you're maybe pushing it a little bit too hard, when you can take a step back. Is that something that we can all recognize is, is this feeling good? You know, it's, yeah. I know that's not a very useful thing. People probably want a really black and white answer, but do you feel good doing this? Are you really unnecessarily sore the next day? Is it actually yeah, painful? Man. You know, when you come back around to do these movements in a week's time, do you feel recovered? Yes or no? You know, do you think it's a good idea that you go ahead and do that again? And a lot of people don't listen to themselves. You know, they just keep smashing through because yeah. they want to get their six pack abs or they want to, bench two plates or whatever it's going to be um and i understand that mentality we all do it um but as the trainer i've got to be the one that reminds people that you can only be as good as you as you can be week on week in Absolutely. week out you know doesn't you can't just make one heroic effort and expect that to carry you through for the next month you've got to be able to turn up every week and do it again um so if you wanted to make it simple yeah little by little bit every week just add a little something more could be an extra couple of reps. It could be an extra set. It could be a little drop set. It could be reducing your rest time. You know, it could be increasing the range of motion slightly. And maybe scientifically, <laughs> there would be. A, you've got a friend behind you just poking out right? from the tree. <laughs> Where is he? There's kids running around out here playing games and stuff. Where is he? <laughs> He's gone. 
That was brilliant. That was yeah, amazing. Was a little bit of um. <laughs> oh, well, I think he's gone now, is he? <laughs> Maybe I'll ask him a question. Yeah. That. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just like. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um. Yeah, so as I was saying, maybe scientifically there would be a perfect way to do that. Um, and I'm sure people could pull up research papers saying that I'm not quoting the right things. But every individual is different. Everybody has access to different equipment. Um, and so you can only do what you can do. You know, um, If changing the exercise to give you more range of motion is all you can do right now and it doesn't aggravate your shoulder, go ahead and do that. You know, just... It's not a perfect answer because I can't give a perfect answer. The most important thing with these things is context. Um, and that's what frustrates me the most with content that you can find out there in the media about fitness and about physiotherapy is there's so often zero context for things. You know, I'm sure you've seen five best exercises, low back pain. And it's like, okay, but you know nothing about the people that you're talking to. Um, <laughs> Somebody asked me in the gym the other day, oh, what, what do you think about a rear delt fly, like a rear cable delt fly for shoulder issues? And my answer was, what do you think about eggs for breakfast? Like, what, <laughs> where's, the, where's the context for that? Like, do you like eggs? Do you have time to cook eggs? Can your stomach handle eggs? Are you allergic to them? You know, there's so many questions you could ask about, what do you think about a rear delt fly for a physio issue? You know, and I think, so I, I, I feel like I've completely gone off the tracks there. No, it's perfect. Um, but yeah, so progression is the most important thing. Yes. Progression <laughs> in any way you can manage it. The one thing that I like to keep in mind is that six-week cycle that the, the body goes through. Five to six weeks, at that point, you're probably going to start to get burnout and you're probably your body's not going to handle much more progression. So maybe okay. five, at week five or six or seven, Lower your load. Take 50% off of your reps. Do something to give your body a bit of rest time. Um, a lot of people don't like that because it's boring. Um, but you've got to give your time to recover, you know? Now, you've, um, you've talked about auto-regulation and the like, idea that mm. like, you would never go, right, definitely in five weeks, this is what you do. But you've given people yeah. a week, like five to seven weeks. What signs can people uh, look out for that maybe it's the right time? They're like, hey, Jamie said that like, this is almost the right time. And then in addition to that, what would you then be like? Yeah, and just listen to these things. And that might be a clue that you need to sort of deload for a bit. Um, an easy one is soreness. So if, so let's take a scenario. How would we give ourselves some context? That would be good, wouldn't it? After yeah. Blabbering on about context. <laughs> so say you take a guy that's, he's training four days a week. Um, he's doing two upper body days, two lower body days, and he's trying to put on some muscle. Okay, easy, pretty easy context. If on one of those days, the muscles that you've trained in a week's time are not recovered and you can't at least lift the same weights for the same reps and sets, you're not recovering. And at, a, at that point, you probably need to take some time off. That's at the, at every six weeks, there's a sliding scale going up. You're somewhere near the top at that point if you can't recover week to week. Um, that would be an easy one. Another one that some people experience is they stop sleeping well. If they're really at the, at the edge of what their body can handle, they're probably not sleeping very well. Um, if niggles start to arise, you know, if after you've been halfway through a training, a 12-week training block, if your knee's starting to bug you, that's probably a sign that your body's telling you something, you know. Um, pain like that isn't always necessarily a sign of damage. It might just be, you know, the engines come on, engine lights come on on your car 
because your car's telling you you're running us a bit hard here. You need to give right. us a break. Um, and sometimes it can be as easy as take a week off. You know, do do something a little bit easier and lighter for a week. Maybe that little light will go off and you can carry on again. Um, so yeah, those are easy ones that I look for. Can you recover week to week? Can you at least maintain the same level of performance? If you can't maintain the same level, you're hitting the same or less, chances are you're probably not recovering enough. If it's very early in your program, if it's week two and you're not recovering week to week, either you're doing too much already, you know, you're progressing way too fast or you're not doing enough recovery work. And I experienced that myself a few weeks ago. I was working, working two jobs um, and just burning the candle at both ends and trying to lift weights. And I came, I must have been week three or four into a program and I came back round to do some lifting and I was having to take weights off. You know, I just couldn't, couldn't shift the weight. And that's when I thought, Mm, okay, <laughs> I'm doing something wrong here. And I had to think back over the last week. Oh, yeah, actually, I've been sleeping probably five to six hours a night for the last week. That's probably not enough. Right. So I have to make changes. And I knew at that point it was the sleep that was a problem because I was only at week four. These weights were not heavy for me um, in you know normal times. So I knew that I had to do something about my lifestyle first. Um, so, yeah, that would be what I would look for. Can you recover week, week on week? And then anything else? Is your appetite really weird? Um, are you not sleeping well? Those sort of um, markers you can look for in your recovery. They're brilliant. That's so practical. Thank you. Now, we're getting into more of the juicy stuff. What are some of the more common injuries that you're um, coming across, whether it be in your physio or, or personal training practice? Um, mm. Do you think there's advice that you are regularly giving to people that might be useful for a broader audience? I appreciate we've just talked about context for ages. And I'm <laughs> like, can you give yeah. broad general advice? <laughs> <laughs> I can, what I can do is pick out some things that I saw a lot when I was working back in London as a physio and used to see the same things quite a lot and would find there's a couple of things that a lot of people could do that would help. Um, so the first thing is I used to see a lot of runners just because it was that part of London, it was Southwest London, a lot of leafy green parks, people love to run. Um, and whilst I can't be generalized about what caused people issues, a lot of people would have runner's knee, um, which is just a painful knee. <laughs> um, <laughs> or they'd have a, you know, one of the tendons in their foot would be flared up or something would be aggravating them. It might be their Achilles, could be their patella tendon, um, could be a tendon in their foot, lots of things it could have been. So one of the first things that I would look for with a runner is single leg strength. Are they actually strong enough to do the running that they are doing? And I would quite often find somebody is going out and running five, maybe 10K, but they couldn't do 20 single leg calf raises. And that's, you know, you've got to have that base level strength. Um, and also I would look at their running. Um, and now this can get into a bit of a squirrely topic because people get a bit funny about running styles. Oh, you should be a four foot runner or you should never be a heel striker and blah, blah, blah. And actually there's not a lot of evidence that any running style has any benefit in terms of rates of injury. Um, but one thing that actually does seem to correlate relatively well with rates of injury is cadence. So if you can increase somebody's cadence, i.e. how many steps per minute they're taking, you can reduce per step how much load they're putting through their leg. Wow. So that's one of the things that I used to wow. play with is I would get somebody on the treadmill and I would count how many steps they took in a minute. 
Um, actually, I'll count in 15 seconds and just do the math. Yeah. I've got some kids around me here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they've, got, they've got like sponge noodles and they're whacking each other. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would I count their cadence and then I would say, okay, you're running at about 160 steps a minute. Um, it doesn't really matter what that number is, but you can say, let's try and build it up a little bit. See if you can take more steps. And what that would often do is make people run just a little bit lighter on their feet. Um, sometimes it would change where in the foot they would strike the ground. Um, but I wasn't particularly interested in that because I knew that the evidence supported the cadence, not where the, they struck the ground. Um, and I would see what effect that had. And quite often, somebody would manage it for about 30 seconds because they'd feel really weird. Um, and then it would go away again. But if you're going to go run for half an hour, and every two minutes for 30 seconds, you're taking more steps and you're reducing that loading per step, the total stress on your body at the end of that run is probably going to be less, but you've run the same distance. You've maybe been running for the same amount of time. So that was one of the things that I used to play with um, and actually had some good success with that for runners. Um, and yeah, strength was one of the biggest things. You know, do, you, do your tendons simply have enough strength to deal with the stress that you're putting on them? Um, and that was big ones. What else did I come across a lot? Uh, low back pain obviously was really common, uh, especially with lifters, people that are deadlifting in the gym. And I can't be terribly specific about that apart yeah. from just saying loading is often a big issue. Okay. Um, I would find sometimes with people who are deadlifters that technique was an issue and whilst same with running. There's not a huge amount of evidence that deadlifting in any particular position is bad for you. I did find that you could change where you would put the emphasis of the load. And I would find a lot of people would lift with the bar way too far out in front of them. Right. And then just that, that lever, lever, I'm turning into North American, yeah. that, lever, <laughs> that lever was putting the stress on your lower back. And if you maybe if you held the bar a little bit closer to your shins, you kept it a bit tighter as you pulled, maybe you're going to access more of your hips and hamstrings rather than stressing your lower back a bit. So that was one thing that I would look for. And then finally, as shoulders, um, people used to deal with a lot. Largely, it was just not enough cuff work, not enough rotator cuff work. Um, guys like to come into the gym. They like to warm up with maybe an empty bar, and then they go straight on with a 45-pound plate or a 20-kilo plate, and they start lifting weights. And they haven't warmed their cuff up. They haven't explored whatever ranges they've got in their shoulders. They're not doing any kind of upper back work after their bench pressing sessions and it's their cuff just fatigues and then it starts to hurt. Right. Um, so I used to get people to warm their rotator cuffs up a little bit more, do extra pulling work. Um, just because first of all, if you want to, if you want a big bench, you need to have a strong back too. Um, and yeah, just get people's cuffs stronger. Um, the most common thing you say is, oh, I get this pain that runs down here and that's, just your rotator cuff is annoyed with you because you're not loading it enough and you're asking it to do way more than it's capable of. So just a bit like with having enough single leg strength, match what you're asking your body to do with what it can do before you try and start loading it up, you know? Um, so yeah, that's those couple of things that I used to see quite a lot. That mate. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm fascinated about the cadence work and you've also sold anyone who cares about their bench press on training their upper back too. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Like if you just think about like, you know, when people squat, they say, Oh, your feet is your platform. You know, you have to be able to produce force against the floor yes. in order to be able to stand that weight up. 
it's the same if you're bench pressing your how your back connects to the bench is your platform so if you don't if you've got a big solid bench big solid back sorry you've got a good platform to push against that bench and look at the best bench pressers in the world they've all got huge backs um there's a guy in the US who benched like 700 and something pounds and his shoulders are honestly like twice the width of him. It's huge. And I know yeah. it's just, just bonkers, but it all comes from that strong foundation and you can bet he's got a strong back. Yeah. <laughs> how important, bet. how important is it as a practitioner to be aware of the, the mental aspect or the psychology and you've already touched on this earlier. So maybe there's something mm. of, of injury or, or when you're initially de dealing with a client. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably one of the more important things really, because I, I find that the biggest thing that is going to get in someone's way is themselves normally. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're all, we're all like that. Oh, look, he's back again. <laughs> <laughs> he's interested. You sold him. He well. certainly is. <laughs> um, people get away in, in the way of themselves quite a lot. Um, whether it's they set really high expectations of themselves, which they can't match because they've just picked up an injury. And it's very hard if you've got some kind of physical limitation um, to try and push through that. You know, if you're in pain, you might want to be deadlifting 300 pounds, but if your back hurts, that's probably not going to happen. Um, and also anticipating along the process, if I'm trying to embark somebody on 12 weeks of rehab or some kind of work to get them back to where they were along that 12 weeks, there's going to be bumps in the road. Um, there's progression in physiotherapy work is just the same as there is in personal training. I'm going to try and slowly build up the weights that they're lifting or the amount of time they spend in a plank or whatever it is that I picked as my metric the thing that I'm measuring um, to try and increase their resilience, their tolerance, the load. And at points along that way, there might come a stumbling block. Now that might be that they have a really stressful week at work and they have a flare up of pain or there's some kind of unexpected event. Maybe they go on like a long family walk and the pain that they're having in their foot, they didn't want to not go on it because it's a long family walk and they're supposed to be hanging out with their family. But at the same time, they're like, Oh, my foot's really hurting. So you just have to look out for stuff like that and say, it's okay. This is not, this is not going to be a perfect smooth line. It's going to be a bit of a bumpy road and that's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out along the way. Um, and anticipate those things and say to someone, just give them freedom to have those bumps in the road and say, you know, it's okay if you take a step back. Wicked. We're just going to try and make steps forward again. Um, because if you don't give somebody permission to be frustrated along the way of the process, they're going to think that they're failing at some point. You know, if they're in the middle of that process and they take a step back, they're going to go, oh, I've ruined it. It's done. My back yes. has come back. You know, they're going to think, right, that's it. I'm never deadlifting again. And you have to kind of anticipate that and say, no, 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 it's a, that's normal. You know, it's, it's okay. There's going to be bumps along the way and that's fine. That might even give us some information. We might even see that as a positive, right? Like if I get to a certain point in a rehab process and I just can't get rid of this last little bit of pain, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I need to change what I'm doing. So there's try and turn things around and see them as an opportunity for learning rather than just a failure. Um, and you can try and build that into someone as you go along. You have to be, I found, because I'm that kind of person, I like to get into the nitty gritty of things. I've had to be a little bit careful about how much I talk to people about mindset because some people don't want 
to deal with that. They just want to be told what to do and when. Um, and that comes back to that, making sure that you can read people a little bit um, and understand what kind of process they want to embark on. I might have all great ideas about how I think it should go, but it's them that's important, not me in this situation. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to recognize the psychology of the process, um, recognize the person, what kind of psychology, what kind of mindset that they need to have. It might be that they're somebody who really overthinks it and maybe you need to be a little bit more robust in how you approach them. Maybe just say, it's okay for it to hurt. It's all right. You know, and sometimes it is like that. You're halfway through your rehab session and you're going, yeah, I know your shoulder hurts. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to pursue it a little bit. In other situations, you might be saying, um, are you listening to your body? Like, do you think it's, yeah. are you happy to carry on? You know, you've, you've got to be able to uh, recognize where that person's at and change your mindset and the mindset that you're trying to give them in that process. Really, really important. Yeah. Jamie, people have got to be working with you, man. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I can't wait in the weirdest way to have an injury. I'm be like, Jamie. <laughs> Get yourself to Canada. <laughs> I don't want an injury. Like, touch wood. I don't want an injury. Yeah. yeah. I've got a tree right here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you spoke, um, you touched a, a few times now on evidence. Uh, evidence. Mm. Now, for there is a big misconception of what evidence-based practice is. So for you, how do you interpret that and how does that see itself within your practice? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I like the fact that you've said there's a bit of a misconception about what that means. And maybe I've, I'm hoping that I've interpreted that right. <laughs> what it means for me is that I have in my head some things that I like to use and some things that I don't, but I still keep a very open mind about what I might use yes. because I don't know what kind of person I'm going to run into. Um, I could be a real staunch clinician and say, nope, we're only going to do this because this is what the evidence suggests. Yes. I'm not going to do manual therapy because the evidence shows it doesn't have long-term benefits or I'm, you know, I'm not going to do any kind of taping or I'm not going to do this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's context specific, you yes. know? And like, I, I think it's good to be evidence-based and to look at the research and, and use what we are sure, not, not sure, we never can be quite sure, but what we are thinking works. But also, I want to make sure that I'm looking at the person and, and recognizing what they think they need. Because at a point, if the person I'm working with doesn't believe in what I'm doing, then I'm going to have a real hard time getting some benefit for them. Um, so... Whilst I am very much evidence-based in the fact I like to follow what the evidence suggests works, I will also blend that with what I think the person wants out of the, out of the situation. And now that, that doesn't mean I just do what the person wants. Sometimes I have to say to someone, yeah, you know what, we're probably not going to do that because actually the evidence doesn't suggest that works very well. Um, so it's mixing it, right? It's taking, it's taking context of the person-specific context, where they're at, what do they think works, what do they want to do, um, and then mixing that with what the research suggests works and also mixing that with what I think I want to do um, because that person's come to me and they want my help, so I'm going to put my own spin on things. Um, and that, that's where I think evidence-based practice comes in. You know, I've got to be aware of where the research is at and what we think works, but at the same time, I've got to be able to blend that with the personal specific context um, and what I like to do, what I have available to me, what the patient has available to them. 
it's all very good saying you need to be strength training three days a week <laughs> and then the and then the person saying i can't afford a gym membership um you know i don't have any weights at home and you're going oh okay all right um you've got to be able to yes. work on the spot a little bit is that you, what you meant um, mate mate I, well i totally agree i'm not the oracle of what evidence-based practice is but I <laughs> it's far more nuanced than if it's not shown in an art in a randomized controlled trial yeah. 50 times yeah. then you must not use it like evidence yeah. is it's the body of evidence and it's evidence-based yeah. so your experience of working with that client if you've never seen them before and they've had an injury you've never seen before that is still evidence you then interpret yeah. it with your education your understanding of the body of evidence and you make yeah. a, a, a decision that is advised on evidence you're not just plucking yeah from i totally agree with you i think you've nailed yeah. that and you're trying to apply principle so uh, evidence might come out showing this works better than that does that mean that I'm going to use those specific parameters for my patients? Probably not because that doesn't necessarily relate to the context that my patient is in, but can I try and extract whatever principle yeah. that I think I'm seeing in that practice and apply it to my own? That's I think the more relevant and probably more effective way to do it because you look at research sometimes and you see that they've done these crazy parameters. They probably use some kind of equipment that you wouldn't have in a general practice. Yes. You know, they, quite often use like isometric machines where they can really specifically load or yeah. uh, control the loading that patients are using. I don't have access to that kind of equipment. I've probably got a normal gym. Sometimes pe my patients don't, or my pe personal training clients don't have any equipment at home. So I'm having to try and apply those things to the patient's own scenario. Yeah, mate, like, bang on, bang on. <laughs> uh, the, there's, I think one of the other, um, one of the the other misconceptions in evidence-based practice is oh, i was totally oh, i totally veiled me um, <laughs> oh no but yeah what like, do you, you, know, you said something there about that was it extracting like like that's it, a principle the ability of yourself as a practitioner to to read research and be like ah oh, i can take that because if they've done like yeah. a cohort of 30 people and like they've done that isometric machine and you're like, I don't have that machine. Ah, there's no point in me reading that paper. Like, no, no, yeah. there's probably still stuff there that is useful for stuff you. In there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and also like sometimes these papers and stuff are very controlled conditions, right? They've, that's what they have to do. They have to control for as many variables as they can such yeah. that the result that they get is as accurate and as reliable and as valid as it possibly can be. But we all know that most people's lives are chaotic and messy and <laughs> yeah, a lot man. of things aren't under control, especially if people have got kids and family <laughs> and a stressful work life. And ugh, these are all factors that we can't control. Um, so you have to be a little bit relaxed about how you might want to employ whatever principle or practice you're pulling out of whatever piece of evidence. Yes. And also see that evidence within a background of everything else that's going on. You know, I'm a big fan of systematic reviews because at that point you're, they've already done the hard part. They've gone through however many yeah, things they've gone yeah. through and they're, they're giving you the best answer that they can pull out. What I don't like to see is somebody taking a, some trial of 10 people and then saying, oh, look, this works. And it's like, okay, you, you really don't have license at that point to say that that's what works. There, there could be many other things that work. Yes, man. hundred uh, percent. Uh, Jamie, <laughs> what does your training look like at the moment? Oh, good question. Um, it's changing a lot because my life is just a bit hectic. Um, 
So I, what I try and do, and this is my principle, is I try and train my whole body twice a week. Um, and that means all parts of my body are being loaded and progressed twice a week. That changes week on week how that looks because sometimes I just, I don't have time to get to the gym four times in a week. Um, or sometimes I swap it for something else. You know, like yesterday I went and did a big hike um, up a local, I guess you could call it a mountain here. And my legs are sore today and I was going to squat, but you know what? I might just do something else because I might yeah. just squat tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so I have quite a lot of flexibility in how I train. And also I used to be a bit of a gym rat in the sense that I love going to the gym and lifting weights five or six days a week. But now I'm here and I've got oceans and mountains around me and I want to spend more time doing that. So I've really condensed my training down to the absolute basics um, and then trying to do other things like get out on a paddleboard once a week or go for a hike once a week or play basketball once a week or go out for a skateboard or, you know, just other things that I like to do um, trying to make the most of my environment without losing the general strength and resiliency and enjoyment that I get from being in the gym and throwing weights around. Um, in general, what I do in the gym looks like compound movements. Um, I like to squat and bench and deadlift and overhead press and do pull-ups and horizontal rows. And just, I try and hit those basics every week and then progressively load those over time. And I used to write out week on week what I wanted to do. So I'd start with five by five and then I go to four sets of six and then I might do four sets of eight and then I might go to three sets of 10 or, and I'd write it all out week, week on week what I was going to do. I don't do that so much now because I just find that unless you have got those controlled conditions, you can't necessarily guess that you're going to be able to do that. So I now prefer to just go into the gym on week one and I decide rep ranges for what I'm going to do. So if it's a heavy compound movement like a squat, I might say, I'm going to start with three sets of six to eight reps. And then next week I'll come back, I'll take the same weight if I'm still within those same rep ranges and I'll go again. If I get to that first set and I'm already way above that rep range, say I've gone out and I've done 10 or 12 reps, then I might progress that weight. You know, I, I come back into the gym every week and I slightly reassess where I'm at. Um, what I do use is reps in reserve, um, which is a system of I decide at the beginning of my training block how, what extent of fatigue do I want to work towards. So if absolute all-out all effort is zero reps in reserve, i.e. I can't do another rep without dropping the weight or losing my technique, I might start my training block at three to four reps in reserve. And that kind of feels like half a set most of the time, doesn't it? It kind of feels like I've kind of half-assed that, really. Um, and slowly through the weeks, I might push a little bit closer to that one rep in reserve. I don't typically want to go all the way to failure, um, because then find that just the rest of the session is a bit wrecked. Um, so I'll start off my training block trying to take it pretty easy and staying away from that fatigue level, that extreme level of fatigue, and I'll slowly work my way forwards. And typically that includes um, adding more sets, adding more reps, adding more weight until I finally, at week four, five, six, reach the point where I'm struggling to progress my weights any further and then I'm going to take a week off and chill. Um, and that's pretty much how I, I do that for my main lifts. So my squat, my bench, my deadlift, pull-ups, things like that. Assistance work um, might be 
things like ab work or it might be rotator cuff exercises or it might be some side raises, whatever it's going to be, arm work. I don't regulate those quite so tightly because it's not making up the majority of my loading. The most of my session I'm, I'm spending on my compound lifts. And so I don't want to have to track too many things. I've already got my phone is full of programs and me filling in spreadsheets, sitting on the gym floor, writing down how many reps I did for how many exercises, assistance exercises that I just can't be bothered with. Um, so I'm a little bit more freestyle with my assistance work because it's not, it's of secondary importance, right? It's, right. I still kind of know in my head because, you know, I'm just a gym person. I know generally what I can do and I'll just kind of slowly push that along, but I don't track it as tightly because it's just not as important, I don't think, as the main lifts anyway. That's a wicked insight. That's kind of what my training looks like. Mate, love it. That's wicked. And I love that you apply that auto-regulation, that flexibility to your own life. There's, yeah. I often think when, and it's, it's not something that you can apply to everyone, but I think when you see someone move well, or not even move mm. well, just demonstrate a care for how they move, it really does speak volumes about and like in all of the content yeah. I've seen you put out, because um, I've never trained with you in a gym. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you put out, and I know it's content, so it's considered, but you just move. You, you demonstrate such a good, not only understanding, but care for movement. Mm. You, that transpires, obviously, in your whole approach to training, but even in everything you're saying now, it just it's this consistency of like a care before like just freaking loading everything and it all being... <laughs> And that really does yeah. massive volumes about you. Well, I think that's, that was a learning process, right? Like nobody told me that I had to do that. And I, I definitely learned my lesson when I stopped rowing and I just jumped into the gym and started throwing weights around. I didn't really know what I was doing. And my body told me pretty quickly that, you know, my low back was not happy with the way that I was lifting um, and the way that I was trying to jump into the gym every week and just do as much as I could. Um, my body told me pretty quickly. So I learned that lesson. Um, and then also I have to be considerate of the way I work with clients. And if they see me in the gym being reckless, throwing things around, wrecking myself, then they're not going to think of me as a very calm, considered, planned out, organized trainer. So I, you know, you have to take your own medicine as well, right? Like yes. I have to organize my own training pretty well and make sure that I move well such that I can be a good example for my clients, um, and, and lead for example for them. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I've always struggled with technique in some aspects because I'm quite a tall, lanky dude. And you are a tall dude. To, <laughs> anyone hasn't met you, you're a tall dude. Sometimes struggle to move the same way that others do, but I just adapt things to suit me, you know, um, and find my own ways of doing things. I really enjoy that. I like the challenge um, of relearning how to move to suit my body type. Um, but yeah, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> no, mate, not at all. It, on the on the topic of like it, of injury and training, and and mm. like, you've addressed a couple of misconceptions and how you approach things. Is there anything else you wanted to add for anyone listening? Um, that's a tricky one. Like we said, it's very hard to give out advice without any sort of context. I think that the things that I drew out there. Are probably the most important things like being able to also regulate how much you're training um is probably the most important thing and also having the basics down you know the lifestyle stuff and i've really learned that lesson myself recently with just not sleeping enough working a bit too hard not looking after myself very hard to see the wood through the trees in your yeah. training when your sleep is all over the shop when you're not eating properly and blah blah, blah. so 
have to try and get some constants and control. Um, and hopefully that should be your sleep and your nutrition and all that kind of stuff. And then you'll be able to more easily see where your training is at. Um, and lastly, I think would be the biggest thing that I would say is don't expect it to be a straightforward process. Um, I still get niggles, you know, just, just because I'm a trainer and a physio, it doesn't mean things don't hurt and I do things wrong every now and again. Um, and that's completely normal. Professional athletes are probably more injured and more messed up and struggle with this stuff more than anybody else does. Um, obviously it has a bigger of more importance at that point, but nobody's training is going perfectly smoothly. It just doesn't work like that. And don't expect it to be a linear line, whether you're trying to lose weight or whether you're trying to build muscle or I don't know, improve your 5k time. It's not going to be in a, it's not going to be a linear progression and that's okay. Um, and that's how it should be really. It'd be, wouldn't it be boring if we could all just progress? At exactly the same rate and all just get to exactly where we wanted to be. How boring would that be? <laughs> the whole point is that it's difficult, right? Yeah, yeah. The whole point. Yeah. Well, Jamie, there are a lot, literally a million things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> um, but what, what I've got two more questions. But the first one is if I could give you two more hours a day, what would you do mm. with two hours? Probably one hour sleep. Um, I'm, I'm not very good at the sleeping side of things. I tend to, once I get my body into a routine of sleeping however many hours, I tend to just do that. So I, if I could just turn myself off for another hour of sleep, I would definitely do that because I just find that everything gets better when people sleep more. Um, and then the other hour, I probably already spend enough time moving, training, doing things like that. I'd probably take that other hour to not necessarily reflect, because I'm a bit of a thinking person anyway. Um, but do something that takes my mind off of all the things that I've got going on. Um, I plan a lot and have dreams and I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to do with my clients and my work and my workouts and blah, blah. So the reason, one of the reasons that I go paddleboarding and I go hiking and I play basketball and I skateboard and I do all these other things is because it's a nice way for me to turn off. And mm. I find that having downtime is so important um, because it needs to exist right alongside all of your uptime, your go time, in order for you to get as much benefit out of that as you want to. So that would probably be what I would do. Spend a little bit more time on recovery and clearing my head and feeling good and enjoying myself. Yes. Because what's the point in working hard all the time and trying to be having ideas for yourself of what you should be in terms of your fitness and your health if you're not going out and enjoying it? So yes. That would yes. be what I would do. Yes, write it down and send it to everyone. Yes. Well done. <laughs> um, how can people contact you, Jamie, if they want to? Do you work online or do you just work in person? Just work in person for my personal training. Um, I work for a company called Innovative Fitness here in Vancouver. Um, we do have virtual sessions, and people have people from all over the world actually are doing virtual sessions with us at the minute, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, People can always contact me. I love answering questions on my Instagram. Um, I'm sure we can tag you on my Instagram here on here. I yeah, love that. answering questions. Um, so yeah, shoot me a message if, if you're wondering about something or want me to help. Um, always more than happy to answer questions. Or I might point you in a direction of somebody that knows better than me. I'm well aware that I've only been qualified as a physio for a year and there's loads of people out there who know a lot more than I do. And I'm always more than happy to pass on to anybody else um, who might know lots of important things that I can tell you. Um, so yeah, shoot me a message. I'm always happy to help. Oh, mate, you're such a legend. Like <laughs> things, You mentioned a couple of times and when you've been talking about the stories here, 
And one of the things that sort of comes through that amongst the others is you've done such a good job with your, you said one of the things that's important to be a practitioner you defined was like empathy and understanding. And you've Mm. done such a good job of that. Like even in the stories you're saying, you're in the, the funny anecdotes, you're approachable and that's not like by chance like people are coming at you with things which make them vulnerable like hey i've got this article where someone has said that they can do this yeah hey like i've got this question about training i've never met you i'm in the gym like that's not by chance those are the the virtues Mm. that you've you've trained yourself um yeah big up anyone who can work with you and just to you thank you for being such a legend Oh, thank you for calling me out and bringing me on the podcast. I was I never expected that um, somebody would want to talk to me about this stuff. So I've, I'm honoured. I've never expected to be sitting here on online having my face looking back at me whilst I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I hope we can get... And, oh, go on. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's, it was a, it's a lot of fun to actually talk about it because all this stuff's in my head. Um, but I always have... I'm thinking about how I present it from the customer's perspective. You know, I'm not, not normally talking about it from my perspective. This right. is just my thought process that's going on. So it's, um, it's fun. And also it's clarifying for me to have to think about it before I say it, you know, cause normally I'm just trying to say it such that the customer understands what I'm saying. Um, so it's, it's a learning process for me talking about it too. So I have yeah. to make sure I've got all of my ducks in a row before I go and tell anybody else what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, man. I, well, I really hope that we can eventually get you back on. Like, um, it's genuinely been so interesting. I love, I love this because I literally get to sit here and listen to really interesting people talk. And <laughs> the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been so fun to talk to you again, man. Like it feels like a blast from the past talking to you. But I've always followed what you've been doing ever since you kind of started up your thing at Eisenhurst um, back in Heathfield. It's so good to follow on and thank see you. what you're doing back in our little hometown. Yeah. So, thank you to you for bringing health and fitness to our little hometown. Lord knows it needed it. <laughs> I'm fighting the good fight, man. I'm fighting you the good are fight. You are indeed. <laughs> Dude, Jamie, thank you so, so much. Um, what, are you off to, what, are you, what are you off to do now? I'm actually going to head into work now, head into the gym, going to get my workout in. I've got to do some programming for some clients, talk to the other trainers. Um, so I share clients with the trainers, so I'm going to have a little meeting and chat to them. I think actually we're going to go in and have a meeting and talk about how to deal with low back pain in our clients. So oh, wicked. I'm going to go and talk some more about injuries, which would be fun. Nice, nice. Well, amazing. Well, have <laughs> a great day. And again, thank you so much, Jamie. I really, really appreciate it. From all the way in Canada. Thank you so much. Yeah. Come out as soon as you can, man. It's a lot of fun. Dude, don't, don't, don't send the invite. I'm playing now. <laughs> I'll be Dude. waiting. <laughs> Have a Tim Hortons for me. Have a Timmy Hortons. Oh, I will do. I love it. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much. I'll let you go. But have a great day. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Great to speak to you. It cannot be just me who's come away from that thinking what an amazingly awesome dude Jamie is. One of the nicest guys in the world. And we all wish you, Jamie, the, all of the success. Uh, congratulations for the success that you've already built and thank you so much for your time. Everyone for listening, thank you. You are the reason and the purpose behind this podcast and it feels like such a privilege to be able to bring you all of these very special people uh, to share their experiences, their thoughts and their wisdom with yourselves, uh, people who care about themselves and others. Um, So that's Ace. 
check out our next podcast. It's going to be a wicked one. Um, and uh, I'll keep that one on tender hooks as to what that is. Uh, and otherwise, look after yourselves. You damn well deserve it. <laughs> Can't wait to speak to you guys soon. Thank you. Pow.